love the words of that song and the call to us is that one, that we would embrace peace and that Jesus said he came to bring peace, that he came as the one who would reconcile us to God and to one another. And then there's also the challenge and the responsibility that we would be peace bringers to our world. We'd be peacemakers. So Jesus, we thank you for that just those words of challenge that we sang and we want to offer ourselves to you that we would be peacemakers in our world that whatever we can do wherever we are that we would be someone who would diffuse conversations instead of fire them up and that we would look for ways to show kindness and love to everyone around us and we thank you that you showed kindness and love to us it's in your name we pray amen all right, you can have a seat. That'd be wonderful if you'd do that. And uh, I told the first service, is this is kind of what I'm feeling today, is that you know how it is when you uh, are planning and you have little kids and you're planning for Christmas, and so you think of a gift or two that they would, would enjoy, and so you make sure to have an opportunity to have them under the tree, and you can't wait, right, for them to open the gift that you've you know, you're probably, you're more excited about than they are for sure. And then they open the gift and they're, they love it and they're excited about what you gave them. And you just feel so good as a parent. Well, right now, just kind of let you know, I feel like I'm the parent and you're the kids today. Okay. So that's where we're at. I am so excited about today. I just been busting about this, about what we get to do as we tackle this whole idea of Advent, but we do it in a way that I believe is going to be fresh and refreshing, and it's going to challenge us, it's going to fill us, and it's going to allow us to really experience the joy that God has for us. So we just think about Christmas. I want to ask you a couple of questions just to kind of you know get us into the Christmas spirit here, uh, even though some of you probably already there. I want to begin with these questions. How many of you say you love the season of Christmas? Raise your hand. That's most of the people in the room. How many of you endure it? Let's see it. Come on. There may be a few that just endure it. Oh, I understand that. How many of you say that you love the songs and carols of Christmas? Raise your hand. You just love the tradition about that. Well, for you, I want to encourage you with this, is that right outside the restrooms right over there on the, on the far wall, we have what we call our art wall, and we have painters in our church who paint many times about the series that we're in at the moment, and so you can stop there today. And you can see several paintings about Christmas just to kind of inspire you in the Christmas mood. But for this series, we're also added a chalkboard. And so every week, we're going to have a different question during this series. And today's question is to write down your favorite Christmas carol. For those of you those came up right now, make sure to stop out there and look at the art and write on the wall as well. So what is your favorite thing about Christmas? What would it be? giving birthday. That's awesome. Giving gifts. Would that be part of yours? Maybe yours is the getting of gifts, right? So that's your favorite part of Christmas in that way. Uh, Maybe it's the food, right? For me, that's where I land every time. It's the food and all the stuff we get to eat. Maybe for some of you, it's family. That is the best thing about it for you is that you get to have family around or you get to experience family. Some of you, it could be traditions, And so you've got traditions that you do about when you set up the tree and uh, when you decorate and when you have, you know, open gifts and those kinds of things. And for us, we're going through the tradition of Advent. And so we have this tradition here. We started, we are following that we engaged in about three years ago, but it's been around for a long time to help us to tap into the meaning of Christmas besides the fluff that many people associate with Christmas. So we have that tradition here. For me, also, it was Christmas Eve services. I didn't grow up in an environment 
or there were Christmas Eve services, and so it was as an adult, I started attending a church, and they had these opportunities for Christmas Eve. I fell in love with them, and so we've been having them ever since I've been here, and I just love the opportunity to bring family and community together and have Christmas Eve services. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to just jump in, and we're going to walk through the next few weeks around this traditional model of Advent together, and so we're going to focus several different weeks, four weeks actually, we're going to look at hope, we're going to look at love, we're going to look at joy, and we're going to look at peace. That's what we'll be looking at at Christmas Eve is the idea of peace. Now, our subtitle, I'm going to start there. The subtitle of the series is this, When Heaven Came to Earth. When Heaven Came to Earth. And that's referring to a theological term. It's called incarnation. And incarnation basically means when Jesus came to earth, he took on flesh. So he was spirit, and when he came to earth, he took on flesh like human beings would, be, would have. The eternal creator, the one who made everything, he took on human characteristics of the created. The holy one humbled himself and went through the birth process just like every human being goes through. When God came to earth, he came in the form of a human being. He took on flesh and blood, and he moved into the neighborhood. And when he did, it really did become, this is the title of the series, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. When he came, it became a beautiful day in the neighborhood. So I'm just going to begin today by asking to grab your message notes. They look like this. You can follow along and take notes today. Also, if you have a Bible, open it to John chapter 1. If you don't own a Bible, we want to give you one as a gift today. And so there's a bookshelf right out there, and you can grab one. Love you to have you look at one of those. We'll be in John chapter 1 most of the day, with a few other verses added in that'll be on your message notes as well. But I'm going to read this verse from John 1.14. And so this is the theme verse for our series, and it comes from the message paraphrase. So a paraphrase is an author who took with biblical understanding and training and then paraphrased the words so that it would bring it into another way that we can understand the Bible. And so this is from the message paraphrase. It was written by Eugene Peterson. And so I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd help me, let's all read it out loud together. Okay, ready, go. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. The one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. On your notes, why don't you underline that, moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood. So Kim and I, I've talked about this before, but we became empty nesters in the last of August. And so we were trying to figure out what do empty nesters do? How do you live? You know, you have a real life around kids and everything about kids for the you know, last you know, 20 some years. And so what we decided to do is on the very first Friday that we were empty nesters, as we were home, we decided that what we would do is we'd do something unusual for us. And we'd heard about uh, this documentary that friends had been told us about saying, you got to watch this documentary. You got to watch this documentary, but take Kleenexes when you do. Take, you know, because you're going to cry when you watch it. They've been telling us about this. And it was about the life of Mr. Rogers. And it was called, Won't You Be My Neighbor? So we rented it in the middle of the afternoon. That was the unusual part. We said, we're going to have a matinee movie. So we rented it in the middle of the afternoon. We went downstairs and we started watching it. And so uh, in order to be able to understand a little bit of why it was so moving to me and why I'm going to talk a lot about this in this series, I'm going to just let you watch the trailer for the documentary. So let's watch this. A television program for children made its unauspicious debut on station WQED in Pittsburgh. Its host, Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers. 
that make good television and do the exact opposite. You have Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Low production values, simple set, unlikely star. Yet, it worked. Love. I've always felt that I didn't need to put on a funny hat or jump through the hoop to have a relationship with the child. He was always trying to get a message across in every show. A week on death. What does assassination mean? A divorce. Some people get married, and after a while, they're so unhappy that they don't want to be married anymore. He was radical. I know everyone says that, but he was radical. They didn't want black people to come and swim in their swimming pools. My being on the program was a statement for Fred. A neighborhood was a place where, at times, that you felt worried, scared, unsafe, would take care of you. He had a singular vision of kindness and love. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, love or the lack of it. Children have very deep feelings, just the way everybody does. There must be times when you do feel blue. I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me neither. <laughs> Won't you be my neighbor? Well, I suppose it's an invitation. It's an invitation for somebody to be close to you. The greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. So that is the trailer, and so I encourage you that uh, maybe this week or even today that you'll just rent this on one of the streaming sites. I think you can watch that. I don't think it's about out available any other way if you want to do it. So how many of you watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood as a kid? Raise your, raise your hand. Some of you are embarrassed to say so, but you can, it's okay. It's okay. You can say that. Or maybe you were just in the house while your children watched, and so it's familiar to you because of that. I have to confess, I never did watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Ever. Uh, I'm not sure why. Maybe it became too late for me. Maybe my parents, just whatever they were into, it was, I don't know. I just, I never, I never watched a single show, a single episode, but I'd heard of him. I'd heard of this guy and I'd heard his theme song, Won't You Be My Neighbor, Please. And quite honestly, I, I heard that and I knew a little bit about him and I was skeptical about watching a documentary and spending my afternoon with this about a man who was known for cardigan sweaters, sneakers, and puppets, okay? Just a little bit weird to me to have to do that, okay? But I did because I trusted some of the people who'd recommended it. So we went downstairs and we got some popcorn so we could pretend it was a movie, even though it was a documentary. And it wasn't long before I was surprisingly, unbelievably drawn into this man who I know now, now know has impacted millions of people from his show about a neighborhood for children. Amazing. I learned that the neighborhood was a place where honesty and authenticity were put on display. It was a place where kind, radical kindness was the number one value. It was a place that expressed the value of every person so that at the end of every show, Mr. Rogers would say, 
You've made this day a special day just by being you. There's no person in the world like you, and I love you just the way you are. Children heard that said to them every single day. Beautiful words that someone said, I love you just the way you are. So as Kim and I watched, I'll just tell you, I cried a minimum of five times, okay? I did need Kleenex, minimum of five times. And I'm just really glad Jordan wasn't there to call me out, because typically she'd call me out because I cry, she doesn't, at movies. Uh, but it was so impactful to me that we had the matinee in the afternoon, and then we had dinner. And then after dinner, I said to Kim, I said, we rented this, we have it for 24 hours, can we watch it again? And so that was our Friday evening entertainment as we watched it again. And yes, I'll just tell you, during the second viewing, I cried as well. Okay, I cried as well. But it was during that second viewing, as I was thinking about this, but that the paraphrase from Eugene Peterson popped into my mind, and I remembered exactly what it said about Jesus came into the neighborhood. And I thought, that's it. That's exactly why Jesus came, and we're going to use Mr. Rogers as our frame to help us to understand what Jesus Christ came to bring and the influence to us in our lives. Jesus came, he put on flesh, he was born as every person is born, and he moved into the neighborhood. He came to us. He came to show us who God is. He came to give us the message that God made us just like we are. God loves us just like we are. God loves us so much that he would give his son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be brought into his neighborhood and be part of his family. What I realized is that Mr. Rogers really wasn't original after all. Not at all. He was just showing us through his show how Jesus Christ would call us to live when we know him. That's what he was doing. Jesus wants us to know that we can all be part. Every one of us in some way can be part of bringing flourishing to our world. We can all be Jesus' hands and feet to bring his love and hope into our neighborhood. We can be the hope the world needs now. Wouldn't you say the world needs hope? We can be that hope. We can embrace that. Well, I knew then this is going to be the frame and we're going to put it over the entire Advent season because Jesus really did come and Jesus really can transform and change your world. And he came to show us how to love everyone. I love the phrase, love everyone, always. And Jesus came to show us how to do that and how to be kind to all people because here's the deal. We're all neighbors and we all have neighbors around us. We all live in a neighborhood of some kind. So for the last three months, and it's kind of been an obsession with me, uh, I've talked about it everywhere I go right now. People are like, here he comes again. He's going to talk about Mr. Rogers again. <laughs> I've immersed myself in Mr. Rogers. I've become a Mr. Rogers fan, junkie, groupie, lover. <laughs> I love this man. He's a man I want to emulate emulate and model my life after. I've listened to hours of interviews. I've listened to hours of, of, of YouTube videos where people are talking about his influence in their lives in some way. And so here's the beauty of what I discovered about Mr. Rogers. And you have to really dig in because the documentary covers it, but it doesn't cover it very deeply. Mr. Rogers was a man of deep faith in Jesus Christ. Deep faith in Jesus Christ. He was transformed 
by his love for Jesus and the hours that he would spend in the Bible and praying. Mr. Rogers was a very disciplined man, and he would spend two hours at the beginning of every day reading the Bible in the original languages of Hebrew and Greek and praying. And then he would go swim a mile. And during the swimming, he would continue his prayer time. And he would just pray the entire time about Jesus and what Jesus was doing in him and what Jesus would do through him. And every counter that he had, I've read about this, I've heard it documented. And every counter he had, he would pray and he would ask the Holy Spirit to bridge the gap between Jesus within him and the person that he would be with. So that there would be a bridge there, and Jesus would bridge that so the person could experience Jesus simply by being with him. He was a man of deep faith, and he asked Jesus to guide his every word. He was a man of extraordinary compassion and courage. You know, I just thought about it. I was looking at him with the cardigan sweaters. You know why he wore the cardigan sweaters? To honor his mother. His mother gave him a cardigan sweater every Christmas. And so she would give him the cardigan sweater at Christmas, and then he'd say, what kind do you want next year? And then he, she would make another one. He did that to honor his mother in some way. He loved on people, as we saw in the just clips there. But if you watch the whole documentary, you see it even in more depth. He loved on people who were disabled, people who were outcast, people who were lonely. He compassionately cared for children whose parents were going through divorce, and he thought the children were thinking it was their fault. He comforted a nation of children and adults after the assassination of Robert Kennedy. And then after 9-11, they called him back and said, Mr. Rogers, our nation needs you. Our parents and our children need you. Would you do a special show to help our nation be comforted during this time? And he did that. He did that in an incredible way. He was a man of confident faith, character, compassion, and courage, and he lived his life, his calling, his purpose. He was ordained as a minister, and at his ordination, they commissioned him to television to children. That was his commissioning, and that was his ministry, and what it was supposed to be about. So he lived to make a difference in lives of children, and he felt that children are the most vulnerable, and we as adults need to protect them. Anybody else want to agree with that? that we need to protect them. He wanted to bring Jesus to his audience, and he did that through the medium he had called television. And television was just coming into its own at this point, and he wanted to use television for good. Mr. Rogers had a pastor. His name was Fred Worth, and I just want to read this pretty long quote to you. It'll be on the screens. You can follow along with me. He said this about Mr. Rogers. The word neighbor wasn't something Mr. Rogers came up with out of nowhere. It was biblical. He was a man of deep faith. The word neighbor came from Jesus' words, love your neighbor as yourself, and the parable Jesus told in response to the question, who is my neighbor, in which the so-called Good Samaritan cares for a man who had been beaten and left by the roadside. Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, the books Mr. Rogers wrote, and the speeches he gave all came from that core, that core to be a neighbor the spiritual center of Fred Rogers. He was a community builder. The neighborhood was symbolic of Fred Rogers' desire for people to live together in peace with respect and love and affirmation. And when things go wrong, which they will because we're human, to live with forgiveness and reconciliation. 
That's what his pastor said about him. He wanted to bring hope and love and joy and peace to our world. And he knew it was only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit who would work through his songs he wrote, the skits he wrote, the puppets that were in his show. Through all that he did, he was wanting to asking God to help him communicate Jesus. I'm just going to encourage you. Here's a book that I want to recommend. Um, I have six, maybe seven books written about and by Mr. Rogers, and two of them are just quotes, and so it's wonderful just to read quotes. But this one was the most impactful for me. It's called The Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers. The Simple Faith of Mr. Rogers by Amy Hollingsworth. And so you want to buy, or you can order this online if you want to. Highly recommend this. Uh, unbelievable, because this is a woman that uh, contacted Mr. Rogers and said, I would like to have a, a reporter a reportee relationship with you, and so I'm gonna, you know, we're gonna have interviews, and we're gonna, and he entered into a relationship with her over years, and he talked about his faith, and so she's writing about who he was as a man of faith. So highly recommend it. I know we have some in the bookstore. We may have sold out for a service, if not, we'll have a bunch next week as well. If you want to look at that. So today I get to talk about hope, and I want you to know right up front, with all of that, this series is not about Mr. Rogers. Okay, <laughs> it's not. Mr. Rogers is simply the willing vessel, the willing vessel that God used to bring hope to millions of children and adults. This series is about Jesus and how Jesus came to bring us hope and love and joy and peace when he came as a baby into our world. Pastor Mark did a great job last week of describing hope, so I'm not going to talk a lot about what hope means. I just put a definition there for you on your message notes. Here's the definition. Hope is the confident expectation, so I'm confident and I'm expecting this, that God is who he said he is and that he will do what he says he will do. So that's what hope is. God's who he says he is, so I'm going to believe that, and I'm going to believe that he will do what he says he will do. Confident expectation. So now let's jump up to John 1. Verse 1, and let's walk through a few verses here as we talk about hope. John writes, now his version of the Christmas story is much different than Matthew and Mark, and uh, Matthew and Luke, I mean, where they give all the details about the birth and what happens at before and after the birth. Well, John tells us the why of Christmas, okay? So let's start. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. So I'm going to cover three things, three truths that we can learn here that when we open ourselves up to, that we can experience hope in our world and that we can be people who bring hope to our world as well. First one is this. I need to open my mind to God's word. So the first thing is I have to open my mind to God's word. Now, I know there's a lot of skepticism and doubt, and you know, when I read the Bible, is this really God's word? And so I'm just going to say that the, the number one way that you're going to really understand Christmas and Advent and the hope that is available to you is if you open your mind up to say, this is God's word, and I'm going to read it as if it is. So I open my mind to God's word. And Jesus came to share God's word. He came to speak for God. Now, one of the ways that we, uh, you know, we understand human relationships, okay? The human relationships work best when two people communicate. 
So when they talk and they listen to each other, that's when they work best. And so God made us as human beings to be in relationship with him, and he knows this relationship rule because he made the relationship rules. And so he chose to communicate with his people. He gave his people his word. He spoke to us in a way that was undeniably him speaking. So now I'm going to read John 1.14, not from the message paraphrase, but from the English Standard Version. This is a translation It's not a paraphrase, and this is what it says. The word, and this is Jesus, just so we all know, in the flesh, became flesh, and dwelt, and then I put this word here, tabernacled, and for those of you who've maybe been in church for a long time, you realize you've heard this word tabernacle and tabernacled, and so it's actually, you know, as hard as I tried, I couldn't get my little red line thing under my spell check to quit underlining this word tabernacle because it's not a word, so we just made it up. Uh, but it's been made up before me, so I didn't. It's not. It's not original with me. Tabernacled means he did something. I'm going to talk about what that means. Among us, and we have seen his glory. So we saw in him the glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of truth and grace. This is an amazing revelation. An amazing revelation. Jesus, who is God, who always existed, put on flesh, was born was spirit who put on flesh. The spirit didn't go away, but now has flesh on the outside. And he was born to a woman and now comes in the form of man. And then the Bible says here that Jesus came in the flesh to dwell on the planet earth and to dwell with human beings as a man. He came into our neighborhood, so to speak, to show us who God is, to show us what God says, to show us what God wants, to fulfill God's plan. Now that word dwelt, you might just underline that because I'm going to camp out on that for just a little bit in tabernacle. Dwelt means to take up residence. So when you move somewhere and you move into a home, you've taken up residence in that community or that neighborhood. But it also meant to set up our tents. Tent, so I moved my tent in so uh, that I've now established my residence in that way. And for John's original audience, this word tent had a tremendous meaning, especially when they thought about the Old Testament tabernacle. And that's why the verb tabernacle can be made up, because they tented among us or tabernacled. And so what would happen is, is the people who were reading this, they associated it with their history. They associated it with the history of when they had the tabernacle period in the times of Moses when his chil- and the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness. And so as God related to his people in the Old Testament, as he spoke to them, he chose to dwell in their midst by giving them his word, by giving them his word. God instructed Moses to build a tent That would be the way his people would know his presence was there. And so we know that there was a a pillar of cloud in the day and there was a fire at night. And that's how they would follow. But then also that they knew that in in this is where God spoke in this tabernacle. I'm just give you a picture here. Here's a picture. This is, kind of, this is a drawing of what the tabernacle would have looked like in Moses' day. You see all the tents of all the Israelites out there in the background there. And in the foreground, we have the tabernacle. And so we have a series of stops until we get to the final tent, the tabernacle at the very back. Now, let's look at this diagram and show you what's going on. So the diagram, we got the gate over here. That was the entrance. We come out of the altar, the washing basin, and then we get to the tent. We have the holy place, and inside the holy place, we have a room that's called the Holy of Holies. And inside this room called the Holy of Holies, there was a table, and on the table, there was a box, and inside the box, there was the 
Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments were right there, the covenant that God had made with his people. So that's exactly what happened. And so Moses would come in. The people knew this. Moses would come in. He was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And they knew that when Moses came out of the Holy of Holies, that God had spoken to him. They could trust that because that was the place where God had established his word. In fact, Moses would go in there and the glory of God would be so strong, he would actually come out with a glow on him when he came out because he had been in God's presence. Now, the Ten Commandments were actually called the Ten Words. The Ten Words. God's word was dwelling with his people. So God took up residence right there with his people through the Ten Commandments in the form of his word to them. And so just as God spoke to them through his word to Moses, God sent Jesus to earth as his word to speak to us for him. You get the the whole idea and how this works. It's so cool. He sent Jesus to speak to us for him. And so here's the deal, folks. If you want to hear God, you must listen to his voice. And he speaks through Jesus Christ. You must listen to Jesus if you're going to know God. So that's why when you go to this book, highly recommend that when you do this, is you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, And you're reading, and as Jesus is speaking, that you change your mindset. And the mindset is not uh, that these are words to read and principles I can learn so I can be a better person. But now they're words I can read. And I think, what was he saying to the people who were listening? And then you say, what's he saying to me now? As I read his words here, because these, when Jesus speaks, these are God's words to me. God's words to you. Look at what it says in 1 John 5. It says, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Given us understanding, spoken to us. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God, the eternal life. So, folks, I'll just say it again. The Bible would teach that you really don't know God unless you're willing to listen to God speak. Now, there's general revelation. We get ideas about God. God's Holy Spirit can do anything, anytime he chooses to interpret that general general revelation to me. But the primary way that God speaks to us is through this book. Primary way he speaks to us is through the book. And John says, the way that God speaks to people in this day is through Jesus. It's through Jesus. And you really don't know God's word unless you know Jesus. You have to know him. Jesus is God's word to us. It's his way of introducing himself to us. So Jesus speaks to us about how to love God, how to love self, how to love others. He he speaks to us about how to serve. He speaks to us about justice. He speaks to us about forgiveness, about anger, about hatred, about respect, and about character. Just read the words of Jesus, and you can hear God's word to you. Okay, that's the first idea. Second is this. If I'm going to experience hope, I need to open my eyes to God's light. Open my eyes to God's light. So Jesus came to shine God's light into our world. Came to shine God's light. This is what it says in John 1, 4 through 5. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So he's saying that in him was the, the all of life, and then out of that he's shown this light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, Jesus came, so you wonder sometimes, you think, you read that and you think, well, gosh, you know, 
If he came to shine the light in the world, then why is there darkness? Well, because God gives us a choice. That's why I said you have to open your eyes. So many of us, even though we know that what God says might be the best way, if we opened our eyes to his light and what he's showing us, even though we know that might be best, we want what the darkness offers most. And we close our eyes. And we don't allow him to shine his light into us. We have to open our eyes to see that he has our best in mind. So we have to choose to let Jesus shine his light into our lives and our world so that we can understand who we are in him. Look at what he says in John 8. He says, I'm going to do this if you'll let me. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me. So he say, just key there, key there. Whoever follows me means that I'm the light of the world, but if you're not following me, then I'm not your light. And so you're choosing to live in darkness. We'll never walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. And we all know that light produces life, right? So light is, you know, it's from science that light produces life. And here's a word when it talks about life, it's not talking about just ho-hum life. Well, I'm just existing, you know, kind of your kind of life. But no, it's talking about life. I loved a few weeks ago when we talked about that Jesus, that God, as our good shepherd, pursues us and he chases us down so that he can pour goodness and mercy into us. And so that's the kind of life we're talking about here. We're talking about a life that's overflowing, a life of abundance. Jesus says, I've come to give life in all its fullest. So when I allow the light into my life, he leads me into the life I really wanted, the life that's best for me in his fullness. And the last idea is this. If I'm going to have no hope, I need to open my heart to God's love. Open my heart to God's love. Jesus came to share God's love. Now, we know that when we read the Bible, we read John especially in the words of Jesus, is that in John 3.16, the, probably the most famous Bible verse in the world, we just went through probably the most famous Bible chapter in the world in Psalm 23, but the most familiar Bible verse is John 3.16. And so Jesus is speaking. Here's his truth. Here's his light to you. Here's the love he wants to share. He says, for God so loved the world. He so loved you. He so loved everyone. God loves everyone. That he gave, so he gave this gift, and the gift is what? Jesus Christ. So he gave his son he offered his son. See, Jesus took on flesh so that he would have our flesh on him so that when he went to the cross on our behalf, he could die for our sins that we committed in our flesh. So he gave his son so that no one would perish. No one. No one would perish. But everyone would have eternal life. Everyone would be able to live in the neighborhood. That's what Jesus came to do and to show his love. And it's a gift. This is the crazy thing. We don't have to earn it. don't have to be religious. don't have to do any other thing. We, don't have to deserve, we can't deserve it. The reckless love of God we sing about the last two weeks. None of that. This is what it says in John 1, 12 through 13. To all who did receive him. Did it say, no, it doesn't say to all who earned it to all who proved themselves worthy, to all who jumped through all the hoops, to all who were religious enough, to all who changed their lives first, simply to all who said yes, to all who received it, 
to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, adopted into his family, children not born of a natural descent. So now we're talking about a spiritual birth, not taking on flesh, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And when you say and open up your arms and you say yes to Jesus and the offer he made when he died for you on the cross, you're now a part of God's family and you are now in his neighborhood. You're his neighbor. Folks, this is eternal life, that we would know the only true God. And in that, we have hope. Now, I would just say this. There's no message more important than this one. Absolutely none. We have life and we have hope because Jesus came to speak God's word, because he came to shine God's light, and because he came to share God's love. We have hope because of that. Now, the big question is, what does he want me to do with this? Why did he give this to me? It's so that I could be in his family. That's wonderful. But is there something else? Well, just as Jesus came incarnationally into our world, God's word and light and love are inspiration to us that we would go incarnationally into our world as well. We speak for God. We shine God's light wherever we go. We share his love when we act like him and do as he says. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that but when we understand what he's done for us on the cross and we understand how much he loves us, we understand that his word is for us, that it, that understanding compels us to want to share that same love with other people so that they can be reconciled to God, so that they can be brought into his family, so that they can become his neighbor's as well. So when we talk about neighborhood now, what's our neighborhood? Well, it is our physical geographical location. So every one of us has a neighborhood that we're part of, and so it is that, but it's broader than that. It's not just the people next door to you, but it's also the people that you shop with. It's also the people you work with. It's also your family members. It's also the people that you play with, that you recreate with, that you do business with, that all these things, these, these now your neighborhood, that he wants us to go and share his love. And folks, I'll just bring it back to Mr. Rogers now. This is why I believe Mr. Rogers had such a huge impact in the lives of so many. When you read his story and you study his faith, you realize he was so enamored by the love of God he had taken time to know God personally. He'd been disciplined. So it doesn't just happen by, I said yes, and now I'm in love with God. I have to work at it to understand the depths of his love he has for us. And so he let Jesus fill his heart full of the Holy Spirit so that God would ooze out of him wherever he went. Just ooze out of him. Whether it was through a broadcast, he prayed over his broadcast that God would use his broadcast to give someone hope whether it's through the broadcast, on the set of his show, people talked about being on the set of his show and literally being in tears because they felt so loved. Whether it was through children, as he related to children or adults, or even we have recordings of him speaking to college graduates, as speaking to college graduates, or even we have a recording where he spoke on the Congress, the floor of Congress. Everywhere he went, people were just amazed and astounded by his depth. Now, here's the reason for his impact. I'm going to read this quote. What's in you will come out of you 
to affect those around you. What's in you will come out of you to affect those around you. Who you are will leak out. So he's saying, get God in you. Get God's love in you so it leaks out. And what leaked out of Mr. Rogers was love. That's why people were drawn to him. And it's why it's so important that you and I fill our minds with Christ Christ Jesus so that we just fall in love with him. That's what Mr. Rogers did, and that's the call to us as well. 1 Peter 3.15 talks about this. It says, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. What What does that mean? It means he's my Lord. I want to know him. I want to know all about him. I'm going to submit and surrender myself to him. I'm going to walk with him. Always be prepared then, now that you're enamored with him, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do it with gentleness and respect. Folks, this wasn't just a calling Mr. Rogers was given. This is a calling you and I have been given as well. And this is a calling our world needs, desperately needs hope. But it needs followers of Jesus who don't go on tirades for God. But everywhere they go, they speak with gentleness and kindness so that others are drawn to want to know that God. That's what he calls us to do. So I'm going to end today with something that Mr. Rogers did when he was alive. And so I'm going to read a quote to you in just a second that he spoke these words. Uh, But I'm going to talk to you about the idea. The idea here is this, is Mr. Rogers was a man that valued silence. And he valued uh, the, the pauses of life. And so if you, I just I love finding all the little in, you know, inside things. If you watch Mr. Rogers' show, and so I saw some clips of this and see that it's actually accurate, that every show, well, they said every show, but I can't verify that, but almost every show then would say, would have, at one point, they would, they would pan across the stage and there would be a stoplight and it would always be on yellow. Because he wanted to give you the message as he watched his show, it's time to pause and slow down. Now, like some of you, when you see a yellow light, when it's like time to speed up, okay? But he was saying it's time to pause and slow down. So that even that, and then he would do several things. He spoke for, uh, before college students, and uh, one of the times I heard him speak at Dartmouth, uh, he actually did this, what I'm about to do with you. But here's his quote. Let's just read this. It says it, he says, it seems to me that some of us value information over wonder and more over silence. And I feel we need a lot more wonder and a lot more silence in our lives. And so he would say, I'm going to give you a minute of silence. And so I practice this just to see what this is like. A minute is an eternity, okay, in our world of constant information and constant noise. And so what he did with the college students, and he would do this with other people as well, and he said, I'm going to give you a minute. And what I want is in this minute for you to reflect, and I want you to think about one person who has impacted you to become who you are on the inside. Not who you are. I'm successful, or I have money, or I've made it somewhere, but who you are on the inside. And then he would give them a minute to reflect on that. 
And so I did this on Friday. And so I came up with my person as I was doing that. And so Kim had gone to see her mom and I've taken her mom back to Florida after being with us for Thanksgiving. I was driving to the airport. And so I called my one person up that I thought of. So I'm going to call this guy. We talked for, you know, probably about 40 minutes about everything. And I finally said, you know what? I got to tell you something. Um, I did this practice today about someone who's changed me on the inside. And of all the people I know, you're one of the primary people who's helped me to be different on the inside. And I told him how and what God had done through him and his acceptance and his love and his challenge and his truth. And, you know, he responded graciously and we hung up after a few minutes then. We texted me the next day. And he said, you know what? I can't tell you how much that phone call meant to me because lately I've been wondering, what's my value to the world? What's my value to life? And that, he says, I'm feeling more valued today because of that conversation. So I'm going to give you a minute right now. So I got my little Fitbit here. And it's the only time I ever use it is when I'm going to count my steps or see if I slept right. <laughs> and so I'm going to time us for a minute. And we're going to walk through this. And so you're going to have a minute. You can close your eyes. You can have your eyes open. I want you to think and just ask God to bring to your mind one person who's helped you to be who you are on the inside. Get there in a second. Go. Jesus, I thank you for this moment we had inspired by a man who called us to silence and solitude and reflection. And I pray now, Jesus, that as we've thought about the ones who have impacted us, that we take opportunity, like I did, to call them, to text them, to write them, however we want to do it, in a way that would just express our gratefulness. And if the person's not living, that we would still write it and that we would express to someone else so they could be blessed by the impact of someone in our world, in our lives. And Jesus, I want to say thank you to you right now because without you, I would never be who I am. I was destined for destruction, living in darkness, self-centered, self-focused, on a path of self-destruction. And I just thank you that you showed me your love. And that there's never been a moment where once I walked into your arms that I ever felt like you weren't accepting of me. And I just thank you for that promise. That you will never fail us. You will never leave us. 
And I thank you for everyone here in this room. And right now, I just want to give opportunity to those even watching online who have never said yes to Jesus. Today would be your day that you would say, I want that Jesus. I want him. Yes. I've sinned. Yes, I have flesh. And yes, my flesh has led me into the wrong place. I want his forgiveness. I want his love. I want to experience what he did on the cross for me. God, I just thank you for that promise that when we pray like that, we surrender and submit ourselves to you. We say we want to follow you, Jesus, that you show us your way. And you give us that life of abundance that we all long and desire to know. And thank you that we can have hope. And now I pray that you would help us to be the hope as we go throughout our world because Christmas is so crazy and that you would help us to be the people that bring pause for reflection everywhere we go. It would help people to be centered just by even you flowing through us into the conversations. We thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.